Welcome to the ministry of the International Christian Assembly in Southeast Spain. We are here for the purpose of worshipping God and reaching others with love. We pray that as you listen, you will be inspired and challenged in your walk with God. Good morning, everyone. Good Friday. I was uh, informed that in Iceland it's Long Friday. Anybody ever heard that expression, Long Friday? You should ask Valdi why they call it Long Friday. (laughs) There is a reason. Good morning, everyone. I um, chose to take on Friday because ah, we could have gotten a speaker, but you know me, I do like to preach. That's off. Friday is a good day to talk about God and his word and the cross, right? And um, today we're, we're going to talk about the wonder of redemption, the wonder of redemption. And that's all we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about that one word, redemption. The problem is you got to have an introduction, right? You got to get it in context. You got to put it within what it was that the Spirit of God was trying to say. And we're going to draw that word out of verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 1, where it says, we have redemption. But uh, in order to do that, we kind of got to get a glimpse of what those verses prior to and after are saying so we can really, really um, get the most out of uh, the passage. And uh, don't tell me I didn't even bring my glasses. Oh yeah, they're right here. Um, So it's a a foundational book. Ephesians is just one of those books that uh, you just just got to get a grip on uh, for, for so many so many reasons, um, and uh, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to fly through a few verses and somehow still focus on this concept of redemption, all right? All right, having said that, let's pray, and then I want to read to you a few verses, and we'll jump in. Father, thank you for this day. It must have been a long day for you. You knew what you were doing. You knew what it would mean. You knew the redemption you were buying, Father, for mankind. It is us, Father, who are day to day discovering the wonder of those events, of those days, Father, what it meant, what it is to us today. We thank you for your word, Father, because we continue to discover in it the truthfulness of your love for us, shown to us. And as we approach this passage, Father, my prayer is that your spirit would again ignite in us a flame of gratitude for the cross, for that old, rugged cross that hung there in Calvary. Father, that cross 
that marked the line between darkness and light, between death and life. So, Father, speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When you approach Good Friday, <clears throat> from the perspective of the cross as an as a instrument of death, it does give us a dreary sort of lamentful thought. But it isn't until you come to understand what it bought, what it meant, the victory that was wrought on that place in time, in history, in geography, that you realize it isn't a day to mourn. It is a day to celebrate that God kept his word, that God made a promise and he kept his word. He made that promise in Gethsemane. He made the promise way back in Genesis chapter 3. He made that decision, the Bible says, in eternity past. So it isn't a moment for us to mourn and cry as the religious do. It is a moment to be somber, but in gratitude. It's a moment for us to think on that cross, not as an instrument of death, but as an instrument of life to me. Death to him, life to me. Verse 4. Let me read to you verse 4 through 6. Because we're going to go back to that. And I'm just going to make glimpses to it. And it would be better if you at least hear it from Scripture. Even as he chose us in him. Before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy, blameless before him in love. Since he predestined us. For adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Verse 4 says he chose us and I'm just going to introduce the subject of redemption. Verse 4 he says... He chose us. And honestly, what does that mean? What is the depth, the width, the height of that thought? You can't read the next few words, predestined, or the word adoption, without wanting to know what it means. In verse 7, it starts off the word redemption. We were, re, we are, it says, redeemed. Redemption. What does that mean? Ephesians, someone said, is the doorway to sound theology, sound truth that shapes our lives and obviously has to transform our lifestyle. Verse 3 is a glorious verse that sets the poetic pace from verse 3 all the way to verse 14. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God. Now watch this. 
who has blessed us. Blessed be God who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We then respond to that. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is a call for all of us to join the Apostle Paul in proving, in offering, in, in giving worship, adoration to the one who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. God has granted us every spiritual blessing that heaven has in Christ Jesus. And there is a lot to unpack in order to try to understand those words. It says, who has blessed us? That word blessing is the word eulogeo. You, you know it from eulogy. It means essentially to endow with ability. Endow with ability to make someone worthy. Eulogeo defines the kind of blessing that we receive from God. He blessed us. And therefore, we can come and bless him. God is blessing us with all the blessings that heaven can unfold on a sinner through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I really want you to think through that. Are you worthy of all the blessings that heaven has? I mean, they're just words, are they not? Until you stop and try to unfold, to define to grasp the idea that heaven would bless me with its riches. Who am I? But it began at that cross. It had to happen at a bloody cross. Full of the blood of the, of the most righteous person ever to walk upon the face of the earth. The price for me to be blessed by God. God is worthy of our blessing him, right? Are we worthy of him blessing us? Luke chapter 17 verse 10 says we are unprofitable servants. Acts 13:46 says judge yourselves worthy of eternal life. We do not deserve all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies in Christ. At least I don't. And yet he blessed us with all those spiritual blessings so that in turn we can then bless his name. Worship is our response to such inexhaustible and eternal blessing. How is it that we move from the category of cursed into the category of blessed without having anything to do with our worthiness? Why is it that God blesses us? 
How is it that God blesses us so that we can bless him who truly is worthy of being blessed? Verse 6. Verse 6. He does it because of grace. God has by grace poured out all the blessings that heaven holds. It says, the glory of his grace with which he has blessed us. That is how he can do it. I want to show you that salvation blessing comes in three tenses. Your salvation comes in three tenses. Let me show you verses 4 through 6. Define the blessing in the past. The blessing of being chosen before the foundation of the world. Verses 7 through 10 is the blessing in the present. It says in the present, we have redemption. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Verse 10 says that it is to unite all things in him. Now I, 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 I can't unravel that, but, but just know this. It's vast because the, to unite all things in him, that is so incomprehensible because of what it's really saying in the original. It says it sums up, sums up all things in Christ. It sums up all things in Christ. Question is, what defines God as God? Well, I would think that the most simplest way to define God as God is he's in charge. He's in charge. And if he's your God, he's meant to be in charge of your life. And number three, it is in the future. Salvation is in the future. In that in verse 11 through 14, it says that the, in the future you will be glorified. It is the future glorification. So categorically, salvation, blessing comes in three tenses. In the past election, in the present redemption, in the future glorification. Those three sum up everything and everything is, listen, according to verse 10, summed up in him summed up in him in Christ so when we talk about being blessed with spiritual blessings we are sweeping from eternity to eternity through time all given to us in Christ our blessings are indeed that vast from eternity past to eternity future can you quantify his blessings? So when you say that you are in Christ, when you say that you are a Christian, this is not some part of your life. This isn't an event in your life. This isn't a Sunday situation in your life. This is not something you identify so as to be different from some other group. 
When you say that you are in Christ or that you are a Christian, it is not some part of your life. It is your existence. It is meant to be your existence. This is the most defining thing about you. Because it encompasses eternity past. And it goes all the way to eternity future. Now, let's start talking about redemption. Redemption. All religions exist for the purpose of some kind of redemption. Religion assumes that you're afraid of some deity. And religion offers you some means to get on the good side of that deity or deities, depending on how many you have. Universally, in all religions, the offending sinner must, by his own efforts, make an acceptable atonement to earn the merit that cancels out his sin, that removes the offense, that takes away the guilt and brings this alleged redemption. What about Christianity? And I am going to use a phrase and don't get all, it's for the sake of the subject. Christianity, on the other hand, the only true religion, from the only true God. And it says this, the sinner can do nothing to redeem himself. The sinner can do nothing to change his status of fallen. The sinner can do nothing to move him from the anger and the wrath and the judgment of God into favor with God. And no matter what he does, even his best righteousness, Isaiah says, are but filthy rags. God's standard of perfected righteousness, man's total unrighteousness, eliminates any possibility of redemption by merit. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says this, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That there is a problem folks. You don't have any capacity to change anything because you're dead. There's no power in that dead person You were dead. You did nothing to merit the favor of God. You couldn't. You were dead spiritually. You couldn't get his attention and try to make him like you. You were dead. Chapter 2 of Ephesians verse 1 says this, but chapter 2 verse 4 begins with, but God. Now I tell you what, whenever you see in the Bible the words, two words, but God, oh, pay attention. Because something awesome comes after that. 
all the times. It says, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Listen, even when we were dead in our trespasses or our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. He made you alive. You had no part in it. Only one way could that happen. The verse says, by grace you have been saved. So not by works. God elected us. God redeems us. And in redemption, we were given regeneration. Which now gave us the capacity to do what pleases God. So redemption, reconciliation, like election, comes from God to sinners. Salvation is a work of God, never the work of man. That's the cross. You did nothing. You would na- your sins nailed him to that cross. God provided the atonement that redeems. God chose who he would redeem. And then God provided atoning sacrifice by which redemption would be applied to those he had chosen. Why? Because he's God. And what defines God? He's the boss. Not you. That's who God is. He's not your, you know, uh, what would you call that? Uh, uh, he's not your uh, uh, rabbit's foot, you know, and good luck rabbit's foot, you know. He's not your, your horseshoe. He's not your, you know, the, the, the one that uh, uh, hopefully helps you throughout the day because uh, somehow you deserve it. He's God. We're always telling God what to do. As if somehow we have some say in things. Why don't we just let God be God? Do you see what he did? Redemption. You did nothing. I love it. That's why verse 7 then says, here's the word we've been looking for. Verse 7 begins and says, we have redemption. You didn't find it. You didn't buy it. You didn't earn it. You have it. First Peter 1.18 You were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your empty way of life inherited from your fathers. No. You were redeemed rather with the precious blood of a lamb, unblemished, spotless, the blood of Christ. First Peter 2.24 says, He bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Cause, effect. He dies. 
so that you can be righteous. Cause, effect. Hebrews 9, 15, listen to what this says. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death was occurred that seemed them from transgression committed unto that first covenant. There was one who brought us through that transgression because of an act, the cross. This brings us to the body of the message. And I get the thought out of Mark chapter 10, verse 45. It's a very well-known verse. You know this verse. He gave his life a ransom for all. He gave his life as payment for all. Redemption. He gave his life a ransom for many. Number one. Here's our first point for today. To whom was the ransom paid? To whom was that ransom paid? The ransom was paid to God. Why? Because God was the offended party. We offended him. With our sins. With our rebellion. With our selfishness. With our pride. With our ways of being. By the mere fact that we had the choice to cry when we didn't get milk at the right time and, or when our toys weren't where they needed to be or because they didn't pick us up out of the crib when we wanted and we began to show that sin nature that said, I'm in charge. It's funny watching parents with little babies. They don't see it. The little babies are so tiny, so lovable. My grandkids are so cute. Monsters is what they are sometimes. <laughs> their little fingers are, you know, and with that little tiny little finger, they just twirl their parents around, right? A little cry here, and they go running to see what the problem is, you know? God is the one who chose Christ. God is the one who predetermined that he would die. God engineered the atoning work. Ransom is paid to God. Titus chapter 2 verse 14 regarding Jesus it says this. Himself for us to redeem us. From every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. Zealous for good works. That's why the ransom was paid. To make us a people zealous for good works. The death of Christ was a propitiation. One of those heavy words in the New Testament. It means satisfaction. You see, there was anger. There was, there was righteous, godly anger because of our sin. And it wasn't until the sacrifice. It wasn't until the cross. It wasn't until the blood was shed and the sacrifice made that ransom was not accepted. It wasn't until then. 
Propitiation was made. It means satisfaction. God was satisfied by the sacrifice of his son. How do we know he was satisfied? He raised him on the third day. He said, well done. I accept that sacrifice. It was reconciliation. It brought us back to the Father as adopted children. It was a redemption. We were brought back from bondage, from the bondage of sin. And it was a domination over sin and the forces of evil. We don't have to say yes. We've been free to say no. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 1 very quickly. Redemption. Redeemed, verse 6. The redeemed. It says that in verse 6, in the beloved. Love that word. In the beloved, in him, we have redemption. In whom do we have redemption? In the beloved. The redeemer is the beloved. The redeemer is him. Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is beloved of the Father. Verse, the second point for today. Who are the redeemed? Who are the redeemed? That's pretty clear. Should be. Should be pretty clear to you that beginning at verse 3. We see how many times you see the pronoun us. Verse 3, 4, we see how many times this we shows up. Coming all the way down to verse 7 where it says we have redemption. It is us. It is we. It is us. It is we. Clearly this refers to those whom he has chosen. So who are the redeemed? The redeemed are the chosen. Christ actually died, provided sacrifice, substitutionary atonement, a true atonement, a real atonement, an accomplished atonement for the elect. Verse 21 and 23 of 1 Corinthians 3 says this, all things belong to you. All the riches that are in heaven are yours in Christ Jesus. It says, all things belong to you. The things that are present, things that are to come, things that belong to you. It says, and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. Guess where we're hidden? At the cross. We are hidden in him. And all things are ours. Because all things are his. And we are in him and he is in God and we are well kept. You are the redeemed. So, election to adoption to redemption, loved by the Father. Loved in the Son. Get 
That's how you need to look at the cross. It's not just some thing you wear around your neck, hang from your ears, or put over your bedpost. It's more than that. It's what made you rich. It's what gave you the identity of who you are. It's what has brought you from eternity past and will carry you through time all the way to eternity future. The cross. Number three. What was the redemptive price? What was that redemption price? Verse 7 says, we are redeemed. It says, through his blood. This is simply referring to his death. Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So, through his blood is a, uh, a substitute expression of his death. He had to die. Yes, it's a, a sad concept that he, being God, had to become man, lower himself to the point of death, death on a cross. But without it, there'd be no glorification for you. There'd be no riches. There'd be no grace. You would be and you would continue dead in your trespasses and sins. The Redeemer is the beloved. The Redeemer, the redeemed are the elect. And the means of redemption is the sacrifice of Christ. So through his death, the Son purchased the redemption of God's elect to bring them to holiness, to sonship, to his presence forever. So that they would be God's, this is what it says in verse 14 of Ephesians 1. So that they would be his own possession. I belong to God. He bought me. I am his possession. Think of the things you have bought through life. I mean everything from a house to a car to, to jewelry to that dress that you thought was going to make you a knockout. Or that tool that you thought was going to make you stand out among all the other guys on the street. You know, think of whatever it is you bought. Where is it? What is it? Even that house that you bought, you can't even enjoy the weekends because you got to be working on it all the time. You got to try to keep it going because it's falling apart. Second law of thermodynamics, it's in, you know, it's in decline. Let's not even talk about the car. Yet the Bible says that I am being grown from glory to glory because I am his possession. And though the outward body begins to break down, yeah, we know that. It says, I am renewed day to day. And already positionally, I am seated with him in the heavenly places. 
You see, what God, what God buys, he keeps. And he knows how to maintain it forever. Number four in our last point, the redemptive result. What was the result of that redemption? I am the redeemed. I was redeemed by blood, redeemed for God. But what was the result? What, what was the big deal? Verse 7 says, We are redeemed through his blood, listen, for the forgiveness of our sins. Folks, never look lightly on that. Because sin cannot enter into the presence of God. He is of eyes too holy to look upon sin. I must find a way to cleanse my heart or I will not see God. And scripture says there is only one redemptive plan that brings about the redemptive result of forgiveness of sin. So we know that that is the first great gift of heaven. The forgiveness of my sins. Because if I do not ask for forgiveness, then there is nothing. Then his love cannot be lavished upon me. Then grace cannot be lavished upon me. I will not know the effects of mercy. I will not understand love. I will not understand anything if I do not first make sure that I am at peace with God and my sins are forgiven. The redemptive result. Let me read to you some verses and we will close. Psalm 103 says, He forgives as far as the east is from the west. So far has he removed our transgressions from us. Jeremiah 31 says, God removes your sins and remembers them no more. Micah chapter 7 says it this way, he has cast our sins into the depth of the sea. And an old preacher once said, and he hung a sign and said, no fishing. Acts chapter 13, verse 38 and 39 is summed in these words, through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 says, God was in Christ forgiving you. He was in Christ at that cross forgiving you. Romans chapter 5 verse 20 says, Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And Romans chapter 8 to conclude, verse 1 says, There's therefore now no condemnation from God to those who are in Christ Jesus. That, folks, is the result of that cross. The redemptive result, the forgiveness 
of sins. This is rich grace. Which according to Ephesians 1.8, the next verse, and someday we'll look at that. It begins by saying, he lavished on us. He lavished on us. I got to explain that word to you because it means to super abundantly pour out upon. So if you read the verse 7 and to verse 8, it says, The riches of his grace which he lavished upon us. Man. This isn't religion. This is a relationship that we are still trying to grasp. How deep his love is for us. He lavished grace upon us without holding back any of it. He lavished it. He super abundantly poured it on us. Because he loved you enough to elect you. So when you look at that cross, you need to see redemption and all of what it means. Because of the cross, verse 7 begins with these three words. We have redemption. So as you go home today, at some point of the day, maybe looking out onto the Mediterranean blue water or the nice orangey sun or just in your house in the quietness, take time. And thank God for that cross. Because that cross is redemption. And I trust you understand that. Because if you don't, you're still missing out. And it's just religion. Let's stand and close in a word of prayer. Father in heaven. Every word of scripture is inspired. But then once in a while, Lord, we just find that one word. And we realize not only is it inspired, but, but you meant it to have an effect on us when we understood it. You lavished, you poured out an endless amount of grace upon us because of the riches of heaven in Christ Jesus. You lavished upon us grace because of your son on that given day, in that given hour, in that given place in history and geography, Calvary, Golgotha. There, Father, you redeemed us. That is our starting place. That is where life began. When you, God, died for us. Thank you. Thank you for giving us more reason, more understanding to love that old rugged cross. We thank you, Father, for your word in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the ministry of the International Christian Assembly, a ministry of AMG Spain and AMG International. For more information, please visit our website at www.icatorrevieja.org. This audio file is not copyrighted.